Brick Moon Fiction presents Solutions for Two by Nicholas Thurkettle. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. You know you're doing something special when the best thing can turn into the absolute worst thing like that. Latrice snapped her fingers. Dion jumped. It was a nervous day at Solution Efficiencies. Every day probably should have been a nervous day at Solution Efficiencies, given that, as a profession, they tampered in God's domain. But you can get used to anything that's a job if you try. The name helped. They had spent months searching for the right, boring name to disguise their operation. It turned out there was a confounding art to it, since even vague words stuck together have the ability to canter accidentally in the direction of meaning. Efficient solutions sounds like something— it was the combination of vagary and fearless anti-sense that threw up a wall against both comprehension and curiosity. Solution efficiencies landed right at that sweet spot of sounding like it took effort to understand, but what you might learn couldn't possibly be worth that effort when you could spend your finite time on Earth doing literally anything else. It had been key to their strategy to get operational before their work inevitably interacted with the public. As the CEO had said, the public is people and you can't grow people in a dish, yet. Everyone attending that speech had laughed. It was that kind of place. Full-phase implementation required cognitive human subjects, and cognitive human subjects had a stubborn habit of wanting to know what they had been subjected to. Solution efficiencies was a wild experiment cantilevered over an essentially criminal gamble. Every employee was at least a little surprised that it turned out to work. Full-phase implementation played out exactly as simulated and the subjects loved it so much they immediately became willing co-conspirators in the silence about what happened at Solution Efficiencies. For those who found themselves drawn to the subset of scientific careers that combined audacious God-playing with a laughably sophistic relationship to ethics, you could hardly dream of a better professional outcome. So today was a bummer, because there were visitors in the lobby of Solution Efficiencies. The lobby welcome desk had become an unauthorized but wink-wink-allowed place for employees to try out some side projects in interactive AI. No actual people from the public ever came in, so employees would go down and role-play as visitors either for laughs or, in more competitive times, play a round of 20 questions whose goal was to disable a co-worker's AI experiment with paradoxes. Latrice tried to remember if there were any projects installed at the desk when she came in that morning. It was, to the best of her recollection, empty. The two visitors, average-aged and average-appearing folks, were looking around the lobby space, puzzled and concerned. Dion, go be the receptionist. What? Dion protested. I don't know how to do that. He cursed that he had remained staring in curiosity at the security monitor next to Latrice, instead of quietly running to the garage and cashing out his stock options. He didn't consider himself a fully unethical scientist, he just had been hoping to ride it for a while and hop off before trouble found him. It's nothing. Welcome them. Tell them some blah blah. Whoever they want to see isn't here. Have them sign in. Take a clipboard. A clipboard will convince anybody. Dion went looking for a clipboard. Do you think we'll be tasered? Marta asked Gary. They stood in the lobby, each trying in their own futile way to appear free of concern. Marta was staring with ferocious concentration at a fake plant. Where does that question come from? Gary tapped his foot against the floor, testing the acoustical quality of the space in a totally not frightened way. I don't know. They can't want us here, asking about what's going on. What will they do? They could do anything. They could inject us with things. What things? Tap, tap, tap. 
things. Secret, horrible things. Stare, stare, stare. We agreed we had to do this. Marta breathed hard and swallowed. And it's too late now. They've probably mapped our DNA. I bet they could make a plague that could murder just us and our relatives and spare everyone else. It's that easy for them. Like ordering pizza. She snapped her fingers in a poor imitation of ordering pizza. Hi there, Dion said, rather too loudly, while practically sprinting towards them with a clipboard. Gary screamed. Marta punched Dion. It was a bad start. Latrice sat behind her desk, looking at Gary and Marta. She smiled. She clasped her hands. They were clasping, she noticed, exceptionally tight. She put more effort into smiling. Dion moaned painfully, standing behind her with an ice pack on his face. No one knew quite how to start. We'll go to the police, Marta blurted. You'll go to the police, Latrice absently echoed the words. It was merely an expression of confusion, but Gary and Marta immediately started jerking their heads around the room in a panic, and Latrice realized it might have sounded menacing. Please, please, you have nothing to fear from me. I can bring you... something? Are you thirsty? Sorry, we don't get visitors. I'm fine, Gary said. I would like a mug of coffee with an ounce of whiskey poured into it, Marta said quietly. Of course. Dion? Latrice waved. Dion slumped out of the room. At last, Latrice felt like they could try a conversation. Why don't you tell me why you've paid us a visit? Well, Gary leaned forward, took a little breath, and spoke with a practiced cadence. We'll start from the beginning, so there's no misunderstanding. You took our parents, Marta interrupted, then sideways to Gary. Sorry. You two don't look related, Latrice answered. We're not related. My mother and her father are missing, Gary said. And I might add, a person who had never kidnapped someone would probably first be shocked at being accused of kidnapping rather than focus on a detail like that. We haven't kidnapped anybody, Latrice insisted. They do crazy shit here, Gary. We're probably breathing microbes, Marta muttered. You're not breathing microbes. Latrice's hands squeezed even more tightly. Dion returned with the doctored coffee. Marta made him take a sip first in case of microbes. Do you know what we do here? Latrice remembered in vain that she was terrible at poker and didn't know how to smoothly calibrate her questions for what these two did or did not know. We know that you're using people from the retirement village as test subjects, and we know our parents are gone. Gary kept his voice slow and even. You shouldn't have hit me, Dion interjected. The observation sat uncomfortably in the room. I can promise you, with 100% assurance, Latrice said through her widest smile yet, your parents are not here. Did you kill them? Marta whispered over her mug. No, we don't kill people here. What do you do then? Marta's voice was rising now. Solution Efficiencies is dedicated to facilitating holistic paradigms within the... Ma'am, Gary raised a hand to freeze Latrice. We read the pamphlet in the lobby. We know it's horse-pucky. We know your boring little windowless building is horse-pucky. Sorry to be interrupting, but I get less polite when I can't find my mother. We have pamphlets? asked Dion. Latrice breathed in, then out. Then did it again because it felt good. She picked up her phone and dialed a number. Can I get a reconciliation? Yes, I know we're mid-cycle. Thank you. 
Then, holding a finger up to urge patience, she picked up the phone and dialed again. To this one she had to speak more loudly, since presumably whomever answered was somewhere noisy. Who is it today? Going unheard, she repeated herself. Who is it today? Marta sipped quietly. Latrice hung up again. This time she was able to smile more comfortably. Whatever has happened to your parents, we have nothing to do with it. Gary crinkled his face up with discomfort. My mother is dependent on a walker, and her father needs dialysis. Are you suggesting they made a break for it? Latrice's face suddenly changed, quite dramatically. If a fly escaped from a piece of Tupperware only to discover it was now inside a microwave that had just switched on, it might change expressions as she did. What did you say? My mother. No, the last part. They made a break for it? Latrice turned to Dion. Dion was on the carpet, trying to crawl discreetly towards the door. We'll go to the police, Marta muttered with quiet determination before taking another sip. It was the cleaning staff at the home that tipped you off, wasn't it? Latrice threw over her shoulder as they walked rapidly down a corridor towards the tube room. It was officially the main coil spectrum calibration event floor, but by the coffee break on day one it had become known as the tube room. That's right. How did you guess? Gary answered, his longer legs helping him keep pace behind her. You never remember to bribe the support, and it would be so cheap to... Latrice stopped at a control panel for the door and started punching a lot of keys. I'm going to say that you're Bart and Janine. They're already in the system. Otherwise, you'll have to give it your email address. So many newsletters, she sighed exhaustedly. The very heavy door swung open majestically. Your timing is excellent, Latrice said as they followed her in. We're just about to settle up for the day. The room was all at once austere, confusing, and radically curious, like highly evolved aliens had combined dentistry with a car wash in one convenient location. There were giant tuby things, giant lasery things, big cozy chairs on conveyors, screens that flashed exciting and incomprehensible symbols. Marta was drawn towards one of the screens and watched as symbols flashed by. They used to make sounds, Dion offered. They'd just bleep and blip all day long. But we switched them off. It was annoying to work around. Stand over here, Latrice instructed. Try not to sneeze or anything like that. Gary and Marta watched as technicians in blobby protective suits led in a pair of children who were dressed in child-sized hospital scrubs. The children looked reluctant, but finally strapped themselves into the giant chairs, which then started sliding towards the giant tubes. What are you doing to them? Marta urgently whispered. They'll be all right, just watch, Latrice answered. With no warning, a crystalline light explosion splashed impossible rainbows all over the room. Then some strange creaking and stretching sounds came from the tube, along with uncomfortable noise from the children. Oh, just a sec, Dion said, and turned a knob. Pleasant music drowned out the children. My God, Gary said. What's happening? Technically, something's unhappening, Latrice answered. Just give it a moment. They're fine. Finally, the light returned to normal. The chairs rolled out the other sides of the tube. In them were two naked senior citizens. See? Good as new, Latrice answered. Wait, that expression doesn't work. Anyway, alive and unharmed. She pulled a large storage drive out of an operating panel. 
The senior citizen groaned and sighed. Again next Thursday? One asked. Week after next, came the answer from one of the blobby suits. Son of a whore. They sat in the cafeteria, whose selections ran a wide gamut. Need to be ready for any age here, Latrice commented, but soft and bland serves both extremes pretty well. Neither Gary nor Marta found themselves with an appetite. Dion had a portable screen he had plugged into the storage drive Latrice had brought with them, and he was bent over it with intense focus. I'm not going to ask how you do it, Gary asked. That's a relief, Latrice admitted. But why do you do it? Why? Latrice asked. Why explore whether or not super-accelerating tissue regeneration within a regressing stem cell filter across the full human genome can be made stable and reversible in real-world conditions? And to do it while entirely protecting and preserving the current brain? Because that part was a bastard, by the way. Why do that? I think I was asking more in the realm of why you turn folks from a senior care facility into elementary school students and back again. These are them, right? Dion interjected. He turned the screen towards Gary and Marta, showing them a pair of pictures. Marta answered for them both. Yes, that's our parents. Okay, yeah, they're a couple of our regulars, Dion confirmed, sighing. That means they are in good cognitive health, Latrice said encouragingly. No good sending them if they have reduced faculties. But the facility knows about this. And the school? Gary asked. Of course, Latrice answered. Couldn't have even started without buy-in from them. Do you know what this technology could conceivably do in the future? You only ever need to get as old as you want. Maybe you like being a milf or a silver fox, but the minute a bone creaks a little more than you want, zoop, you can be in your 17-year-old body again, but with all your experiences and memories. But that would put senior care facilities out of business, Marta pointed out. That's long-term. Dion pointed out as he kept scrolling through the screen. Short term, they just want to hear less complaining. The school is the perfect place to deposit them for the day, Latrice explained. Lab conditions are all well and good, but you need to introduce at least a little real-world chaos in the field and know you've stuck the landing. Sticking the landing? That's what you'd call them disappearing? Gary's default polite smile seemed a little more hostile now. Latrice got that fly-in-the-microwave look on her face again. Right. Yes, the work carries me away a bit sometime. Probably why I can't get a date, am I right? She tried to look at Marta in a funny, sisterly way. Marta threw her coffee mug at Latrice's face. No, I deserved that, Latrice acknowledged. You are the worst people I've ever met in my life, Marta said quietly. Wait, hold on, Dion waved at them, fixated on something on the screen. What? Latrice asked. You know, Dion gulped, you know how the system is set to catch when the progressive template isn't in tolerance with the regressive template? Yes, Latrice put her head in her hands, in part from exhaustion, but also because she thought the chance of more flying missiles coming at her was increasing. So, the tolerance is so tight. I mean, it was tripping the alarm every other day, and we... You turned down the alarm. The sound, Dion urged Gary and Marta to believe. You wouldn't believe how annoying it was. Like, hack, 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 hack. Dion, Latrice threatened him with a fork out of pure instinct. 
This, he stammered, this is when it happened. Latrice looked at the data for herself. Sure enough, there it was. Two subjects checked in on Tuesday morning, got regressed to nine years old and dispatched with sack lunches to a normal day of classes. Then two nine-year-olds were delivered by a teacher at the end of the day, put through progression, and sent back to the retirement village. Oh, Latrice could only say. Oh, 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 oh. What? Gary urged. Your parents... Latrice tried to figure out how to begin. Suddenly there was a paging buzz calling Latrice's name. Latrice whispered, I am so sorry, to Gary and Marta and scrambled to a wall calm. She listened, then said gravely, I see. Then she waved at Dion. Dion, where did you leave that clipboard? There was a package delivery person waiting in the lobby at Solution Efficiencies. Dear Frankensteins, began the letter, which was on good quality paper run through an old typewriter. Latrice, Dion, Gary, and Marta raced to read through to the end first. In the old days, which is where we're from, there was a term, a gentleman's agreement. I guess that's what we all had, all us wrinkly farts you used as lab mice. You came to people who probably had five years left on earth and gave us a chance to run on a playground for a day, and you knew none of us would want to report what you were doing. Plus, there was all that money you were spreading around, which was awful nice. You should see our poker nights at the home these days. Now, in case you need it explained, a gentleman's agreement really only holds as long as everyone agrees to honor it, and the only penalty is that people don't think you have honor anymore. And that can be pretty important. In fact, as your elders, we'll tell you that having honor is just about as important a goal as you could have in your life. But the reason why you are thoroughly and totally monkey-wrenched as a going concern now is that we found something more important than honor. We found love. We've known each other for two years. And we always liked each other, real swell. But you only get to ask so much out of life when you're in bodies like ours. So we had some laughs. We did a little shuffling that looked like dancing on Monday nights. We talked about books. It was enough. But then you gave us more. You let us spend our days together as kids. Twinkling, bouncing, breathlessly running everywhere. Kids! Whoa, Nellie, was that a mistake on your part? We see it all now. What we were in all our glory. Plus what we'll become, which both of us are okay with. And your magic chairs gave us the chance to have all 75 years in between together. And we're taking them. To do what you did, you had to learn how to fake a whole lot of records. We paid attention. And you spread a whole lot of money around, which not only padded our own pockets, it meant everyone we needed to corrupt was already corrupted. The two kids you took in our place and put into old folk bodies, well, they're safe. Someone at the facility put them under anesthesia for a couple of days, just long enough for us to make our getaway. That was the most uncomfortable part of the whole business. But if you ask their teacher, you'll hear that those kids were troublemakers. Real nasty jerks. Once they're back, maybe a little taste of what's to come will be good for them. We've got some folks who've agreed to be our fake parents, and we're all just going to enjoy growing up for a bit. Until we're 16. We agreed we're going to wait to screw until we're 16. But then we're going to screw until we can't breathe. We're both looking forward to that. We understand this probably means you'll all have to shut down. 
We hope you got enough researching done, because it would be awful nice for others to have what we have, but we just couldn't afford to wait, you see. Maybe someday you'll understand, or maybe you'll never have to. You'll never hear from us again, unless having to store two lives worth of memories in our heads makes us go Fruit Loops. To your very good health, Frankensteins, Andre and Amelia. The names had a heart drawn around them. Gary and Marta were allowed to keep the letter. Both also got checks made out in ludicrous amounts, which they at first objected to. Latrice insisted, It's venture capital money. We give it out like dinner mints around here. Gary was polite but curt in parting. Marta didn't punch anyone. Together they walked to the parking lot of solution efficiencies. Gary made a sound with his breath. That is not how I saw today going. What do we do? Marta asked. They didn't even mention us. It was like we were dead to them. And now they're, like, dead to us. Maybe we've got letters waiting at home. They didn't know we'd be here today. What are they going to say? That they bought a Winnebago and went away together? Maybe. It's a nice thing to picture. Marta suddenly stopped, mid-parking lot, and sniffled. I wasn't the best daughter, okay? I didn't visit as often as I could have. That doesn't mean I was ready for... for... She waved her arms at the building, which was so featureless and dull as to offer no place to attach emotion to. Gary stood by her for a full, silent minute. Then he said, You know, I don't understand anything I saw in there today. God, it was scary. Funniest thing happened, though. I saw that word in the letter. Love. And it's like all the stuff jumbling around in my head got wiped off like a chalkboard and only one word replaced it. Okay. Love, I thought. Okay. Love? Okay? Marta looked appalled. Yeah. Guess I should probably worry about what's going on in there. Pretty criminal in about two thousand ways, but he gestured encouragingly. Love? Okay she repeated. It sounded less weird to her. Does that help? He smiled. They'd been through an adventure since the moment they'd discovered their common problem. Gary, I don't know, but it'll get me to the car, she answered. So they made it to the car. Nicholas Thurkettle is a writer, actor, and filmmaker. His short film The Dinner Scene has currently made 18 stops on the film festival circuit, and his follow-ups R&R and Anya are expected to make their festival debut in late summer. He is the author of the short story collection Stages of Sleep and co-author of the sci-fi thriller novels Seeing by Moonlight and A Sickness in Time. He can be seen on screen in independent films such as Reclaiming Friendship Park, Cloudy with a Chance of Sunshine, and Revelator, all available on streaming and or DVD. A frequent writer and performer with the audio drama podcast Earbud Theater, his voice can also be heard in video games, audiobooks available through audible.com, and an obscure podcast called Brick Moon Fiction. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.